Hi, everybody, and welcome to Martin Bandike Undercovers. In The Hard Way on Purpose, author David Giffels takes us on an insider's journey through the wreckage and resurgence of America's Rust Belt, a native who never knew the good times, yet never abandoned his hometown of Akron, Ohio. Giffels plums the touchstones and idiosyncrasies of a region where industry has fallen. Bowling is a legitimate profession. Bizarre weather is the norm. Rock and roll is desperate. Thrift store culture thrives, and sports is heartbreak, intelligent, humorous, and warm. Giffel's linked essays are about coming of age in the Midwest and about the stubborn, optimistic, and resourceful people who prevail there. Yes, us folks in Michigan can definitely relate to what David is writing about in his terrific new book, The Hard Way on Purpose, Essays and Dispatches from the Rust Belt, Patrick Carney, the great drummer from the Black Keys, who is from Akron, Ohio as well, writes this about David's new book. This book reads like the American soul, wicked, sincere, and ingeniously weird. It is a great story, an authentic one, about the way people protect the places they love. In my recent interview with David Giffels, I asked him to give us a little background about his life growing up in Akron and what led him to write this new book. So I'm, I'm born in Akron, and I uh, think I'm probably one of the few people of my generation who's never left. Um, just for a variety of reasons, I like it here. I wanted to be here. Um, but I also know that most people of my generation, of the um, sort of post-industrial generation, um, didn't couldn't stay, or or were encouraged to leave, um, and not just Akron, Ohio, but um, most of the cities in the industrial Midwest. And so that's you know where the term brain drain comes from, and this distressing exodus of young, often talented people. Um, so this the book itself is kind of born of that experience of. Um, you know, the experience of those of us who've stayed and committed to places that, you know, needed a lot of help in in the late 20th and early 21st century. What uh, kept you, what has kept you in Akron all of these years? What, 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 there's so many people so immediately flee the Midwest the moment they graduate from college, never to return except on Thanksgiving and Christmas holidays to, to see their parents. What, 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 what has kept you in Akron, Ohio? Yeah, there's a, a sort of a catchphrase in the book, which is that I've spent my whole life watching people leave, um, which is kind of true. And I mean, in my case, at first, I I, uh, I went to college at the University of Akron in my hometown, um, basically because that's what my family could afford and what was available. And so I didn't make that initial departure and then um, was able to, you know, to kind of start my career here. Um, as a newspaper columnist, and um, when the opportunities started to come when I could have left, I had reached a point in in my personal life where my our, my wife and my family were both here. Um, we liked being close to them. We had um, put down roots by buying an old house that we were rehabbing. So I was starting to feel a commitment, um, an adult commitment to my hometown at the time when I could have left. 
And I think that story is what I've heard from a lot of other people, is that those who have stayed in the sort of the hard scrabble Rust Belt cities have done so because they feel a personal commitment to place, to um, to home, and that was the case with me. And then, you know, at a certain point, I and I think a lot of my friends started to feel like we had sort of beat the system because we would hear from, you know, our friends who had moved to Chicago or or out west, um, you know, to places that offered more apparent opportunity, but also, you know, they felt homesick or they would lament, you know, the fact that they've got, you know, a, a two-hour commute where, you know, you you couldn't, you couldn't spend two hours in a car in Akron, Ohio, because there's just no rush hour. So, uh-huh. um, you know, it's very affordable, you know, things like that that are quality of life things that um, kind of really have balanced out the um, the opportunity that might have, you know, been, you know, professional opportunity or other kinds of opportunities that would have been in other places. You know, being a big uh, music fan, obviously, uh, at the radio station here, Akron, Ohio, this is a really important city musically. My goodness, some some major acts have come out of Akron, which is, what's the population of the city these days? And tell me about some of the music from Akron that you uh, write about and are interested in, David. Sure. The population is 199,000, so it's a medium-sized city. It's kind of a, a, a real cross between a, a small town and a city. Um, the music history here, yeah, is um, interesting and weird. Um, you know, in the 70s and 80s, it was a hotbed of, like, new wave and punk, and Devo came from here, Chrissy Hind, um, The Waitresses, uh, Lux Interior, the singer for The Cramps is from here. Um, a whole, like, sort of um, group of people, a glut of people, you know, kind of came from here at that moment, and it was all kind of by weird, bizarre, sort of screwy um, uh, accidents and and happenstances and so forth. Um, But it really kind of makes this legacy of this um, uh, kind of a unique sound that came out of Akron at the time. But then, you know, more recently, uh, obviously the Black Keys are from here. And the Black Keys, the thing I like about their particular association with the city is, is the way they've embraced it. I mean, the way they really identify as being from Akron, and they've used, you know, iconography of the city in, in their merchandise, and and, um, and even, you know, one of their records was Rubber Factory, which was because they actually recorded in an old, empty rubber factory space. Um, and, you know, for people, for younger people in Akron, a, a city that's been kind of you know, often used as the butt of a joke and or, or or just ignored. You know, for for a notable act like the Black Keys to embrace being from here and and um, enjoy being from here, I think has been a really great part of the story. I had a chance to interview the Black Keys, Dan and Patrick, uh, a couple of years ago. Really, when the band was breaking wide open, when the Brothers album came out, and and I just felt so comfortable the moment I sat down with them and their tour bus, David. It's one of those kindred spirits. Well, you're from the Midwest. They came up here all the time to see shows in Michigan. I went down to Ohio, uh, not so much to Akron, but at least to Cleveland to see a lot of shows at the Pirate's Cove, this great punk club down there. And it was just kindred spirits. I just felt like they could have been next door neighbors. They were so easy to talk to and down to earth. And I mean, this was a band that was rapidly hitting the stratosphere with their music and uh, couldn't have been more normal and more down to earth and i guess that's for us too here in michigan just just part of the 
appeal. There's not a lot of errors from from people uh, out of the Midwest, and it's just, um, I don't know, for lack of a better word, just really refreshing. (laughs) I I, I really like people from here. It's easy to to relate to, you know, the the struggle to get through, uh, you know, uh, just a day and to keep your job and to stay sane here. It it, it keeps you very grounded, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um, the... the the, the where you where you are and where I am are places that kind of go out of their way to be nice and being cool means something different in a place like Ann Arbor or Akron than it means in somewhere like New York or Las Vegas or something like that yeah, I mean being yeah. cool here means being nice and and I and I think Pat and Dan definitely have um sort of um consciously kept tried to keep their heads together and tried to keep real and i think it's because they come from a place that's very real and very humble you know humble in in both bright and dark ways i mean humbled by circumstance you know all the loss of industry and so forth but also humble i think just as a mid in a midwestern sort of cultural way i mean just for instance i i you know pat carney is as busy a celebrity musician as there is and i asked him if he would write a jacket blurb for the book and immediately he's like yeah what do you know tell me what to do (laughs) wow and um (laughs) you know so and it's because you know i think it goes back to that um when you're from a place like this you, you do help each other out because that's how these kinds of cities and these kinds of music scenes work it's it's you know you need each other and even though they don't need you know in the same way that they did when they were a young starting band, they, I think they remember the way that works. And that's, you know, that's the punk ethic. You know, if you play, you know, if my band plays in Ann Arbor with your band, then we invite your band from Ann Arbor to come, you know, to yeah. actually play with our band. You know, and that's how that stuff, that's that stuff really grows organically, I think, from the ground up. And you go back to that scene of the 70s and 80s, and, you know, I came along just after that, but... Um, very much like recognized and felt that spirit of in in the music era that I grew up in of you know this is you know this is how you make a scene you don't each try to be rock stars you each try to help each other out and you know you need each other Tell tell me about your uh, career, your time spent at the uh, Akron Beacon Journal. It's a very, very affecting uh, piece uh, early on in the book about this uh, horrible incident that happened. What this was on your very first day at work when you when you got this yeah. full time position at, at the newspaper. Do you mind talking about that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's this essay in the book about my um, my childhood bookstore. It's this used classic old used bookstore. You know with the cat on the counter and the old guy with the beard who runs the place and my parents would when we were kids my parents would take us there sometimes um and you know kind of let us pick out a you know a 25 cent used book or whatever and it's really kind of where my my love of reading and and my real desire to be a writer came from and and i really identify it with that place and that experience of you know, developing this intimate bond with books and so and and bookstores and how they're made and where they come from and all that. And you know, so it was a defining thing. And uh, so I grew up always wanting to be a writer. And and yeah, on the very first day of what I think of as my writing career proper, um, when I began working for the Beacon Journal, I leave the newspaper office and I'm driving up the hill toward home, um, a couple miles away and see smoke in the sky and suddenly realize something's burning and I 
come up to the crest of a hill and realize that my childhood bookstore is in flames. And if you've never had the opportunity to watch a bookstore burn to the ground, it's an awe-inspiring sight. (laughs) Nothing burns like a bookstore. Um, So, uh, yeah, so it's just, I mean, it's just this, I mean, it was a tragedy and terrible and all of that, but you know, for a writer, the irony of that is just too rich to oh. <laughs> to ignore. But and yeah. you know, the beauty of that is though, and you know, this is the this is the way that you know, it's kind of these cities operate. The the next day, the guy figured out what he had left and got to work and reopened in a new spot, and he's still going. I mean, here here we are, you know, more than a generation after I first discovered that store, and the same old man is still coming in every day and still running the place. So, uh, uh, yeah. Now these you... are always, I think these are cities are always stories of like rebirth and um, reinvention and, you know, kind of reworking things. These are cities that were built by tinkerers and people, you know, who fix things. And I think that's what we do in lots of ways. Sure. Tell me about your career uh, these days, besides writing these uh, incredible books. Uh, you're a professor at uh, the University of Akron. Talk about your work there. Sure. I teach, um, I teach creative writing in an MFA program called the Northeast Ohio Master of Fine Arts Program. Um, so I'm teaching young, aspiring writers. I teach creative nonfiction um, and really love it. I love being around students and being around other writers and talking about it and, you know, sort of lighting fires up underneath each other to to get work done and try new things and so forth. Mm-hmm. You write, too, uh, in in one of your essays about, and we have that here, I have that here for sure, where, uh, you know, a lot of people... Uh, after you know yeah move to the east coast and west coast and uh mm-hmm. you know perhaps don't find their fame and fortune there or find that it dries up pretty quickly and come back uh, with their tail semi between their legs back to the midwest and it's hard uh hard not to resent some of these folks to uh you know ab- abandon uh the midwest and then come home uh and and want to start all over again and yeah i i i've i've had that feeling with more than a few people who have uh abandoned Detroit or abandoned Ann Arbor and have come back here uh, years later. Do you feel like that? Um, it's not a resent. It's, it's, it's complicated because <laughs> I, um, and I write in the book, I don't resent people who come back in any way, but there's a certain subset of people who come back and feel like they need to tell you your value, like you don't know it. Like, you know, I've been to the big city of Chicago, <laughs> and this place is just as good as Chicago. And I always like to say, no, Akron's not just as good as Chicago. It's just as good as Akron, you know, because I, 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 there's this tendency to measure your value upward, and I think it's an American thing. But, um, you know, the value I see of, of cities in our region um, is, is that they have this kind of rough edge and this imperfection that's its own charm that's um that's not glamorous and but it's real you know dan arbach of the black keys once said to me we were talking about akron and he said it's funny he said it's you know hollywood spends millions of dollars to try to build sets that look like akron you know because it's real and that's that's what i like about it is that it's not um 
I mean, it, it, it feels like a destination to me. It feels like a place, you know, there's a reason people come back. And as you've probably experienced, when they come back is often when they want to start raising their families. Yeah, yeah, or, yeah, or yeah. start to feel a real sense of place that's not based on external things, that's not based on career opportunity or um, glamour or, you know, sort of like nightlife. It's, it's, it's on things that are sort of more kind of traditional, and, and that's what we have in spades. It's, you know, it's home for a reason. David, explain uh, this uh, one essay, which begins with the sentence, you really need to understand about the bowling. <laughs> Expound on that on that essay a little bit, if you would. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, bowling is kind of the quintessential Midwestern middle class activity. Um, and that's true, you know, in Milwaukee, and it's true in Detroit, and um, it's true in Buffalo, it's true in, in all these cities. But the thing I love about Akron's association with it is that, um, you know, Akron is such a self-conscious place and so, like, um, you know, like, kind of committed to the idea of work and not putting on airs or anything like that. And so, you know, what should be the ultimate pastime, middle-class pastime, bowling, um, Akron uh, had to turn it into a profession. So the uh, <laughs> the Professional Bowlers Association was founded here. I just love the idea of that, like, oh, re- the idea of relaxing in a, in a city that's built on work and industry is uncomfortable. Like, relaxing is something you do in private or you do in Florida for a week. And so if you're if you're do, if you're bowling in Akron, it can't be for relaxation. I think that was the logic pattern. So let's turn it into a profession, then we'll feel. Right about it, oh. and you know, the, and and of course, like in the in the eighties and nineties, all of the institutions were being kind of uprooted and removed from Akron. So, three of the major tire companies were bought by foreign owners and moved away, and um, even the United Rubber Workers, the union that was formed here, was uprooted and merged with the United Steel Workers and moved to Pittsburgh, and um, and. So a, a group of investors who had made their Silicon Valley wealth bought the Professional Bowlers Association and uprooted it and moved it to Seattle. It's like, come on, how can you take bowling out of Akron? <laughs> yeah, really? Oh, awful. Yeah. Uh. And they wanted to, you know, they wanted to, to, to like jazz it up and turn it into an extreme sport. And we're like, no, uh-uh. it's it's got to be. Yeah, it's it's not, it's not bowling. Oh. Uh. Music, I love how music really courses its way th- through uh, your your book of essays so much. What what are some of your favorite artists of all time, and and what are some of the things you're listening to these days from Akron, uh, just you know, from the music world in general? Yeah. Oh, geez, that's the that's the impossible question. Yeah, to yeah, ask. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Because um, it changes all the time, and you know, and and to try to begin to answer it means we would this would need to be a four hour segment <laughs> mm-hmm. with with beer involved. Oh so, well, you know, gee, I <laughs> wish I could have arranged that, but you let's know, go. Um, you know, so um, yeah, I mean, I just I one one of the things I love about the time that we live in and being a music fan is that I think in every generation, American generation before ours. When you got to be a certain age, you know, say 30 years old, you, you couldn't really continue to explore music unless you really worked at it. And mm-hmm. even then, you'd be suspect as, um, you know, like the the middle-aged poser who doesn't belong. But, I mean, now, you know, I just continue to engage with music 
constantly because it comes out of the machine I work on, you know, it's in my computer all day. And, and so, um, you know, in the 80s, it was like when you were in Akron, Ohio in the, in the 1980s, when I first started to really get into rock and roll, you had to really work to find out what was happening. You know, you like you couldn't get the most of the music magazines here and so you had you know it'd be like a copy of maximum rock and roll would show up in somebody's hands it would be like you know the holy grail like somebody sure. got a copy of maximum rock and roll and um and so i loved the idea of the struggle to find it and the, the adventure of finding it then but you know now i love the idea of being able to explore and experiment so easily so um yeah, so I think I'm actually, in a weird way, in middle age, I'm probably hipper than I was <laughs> as a younger person when I was really trying to be hip. And now I'm not really trying, you know, it's not like it's it's a quest. It's just so available. So, like, there isn't, a, I, you know, I wrote a piece for Grantland um, a little while back that, on the theory that there isn't really a generation gap anymore. You know, like, my children and I listen to a lot of the same music, and it's not because I'm trying to act younger than them or because they're particularly interested in my music taste. It's just there's an intersection now that's really interesting to me. I didn't really answer your question, I guess. No, that's okay. <laughs> I'm <laughs> evading the specificity. Of, you know, I just, I mean, I've always loved Bob Dylan, and I just yesterday finished reading Chronicles. Have you read his? Oh, God, yeah. I'm a Bob Dylan yeah. obsessive. I'm Ann Arbor's so, Bob Dylan obsessive here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I, yeah finally, I mean, I'm 10 years behind the curve on the book, but by the same token, you know, you ask that question, it's like, let's talk about Bob Dylan for an hour. Oh, I know. But oh, next week it might be something else. I, uh, I've, I'm trying to think of, I believe I've seen him play in Akron, too, because usually my, my uh, the way I work is if I can get to a gig and back home the same night, I, I'm there, even if it's a work night, you know, I, mm-hmm. it, it's just, and I've seen him. All over the place in Michigan, Ohio, and Illinois. You know, it just it, yeah. it, it never it never gets old for me, and never ever does. Fine, final question for you, David. What what do you want to leave the listener with in terms of a, a message or an overarching theme in this new uh, book of essays of yours? Um, I guess the the one thing that I've really felt strongly, especially since the book came out. I mean, I felt this before, but since I've been able to talk to a lot of people about it and interact with people, it it really seems like the Rust Belt is having its moment. Um, You know, we've been called the Rust Belt for a generation, and for most of that generation it's been a negative term. But right now it seems like there's a real pride of being from a place like this. You know, we're in a a time when uh, between social media and digital communication and sort of, homogenized landscapes there aren't as many american places that really feel like a place anymore and this is you know this region is a place that feels like a place there's a consistency of of architecture and kind of ingrained with soot and you know some scarring and some of the things that give it a soul and i think people are starting to recognize that in a much more positive way and identify with it and take pride in it instead of, you know, being ashamed or afraid of it. So um, I guess if there is a message, that's, that, that would be it. 